You're listening to the podcast of Christ Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope these sermons help you to know God through Christ by deepening your belief in the gospel. The reading this evening comes from Romans chapter 9, verse 30 through 10, 15. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your, heart, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him? in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This is the word of the Lord. And God, it is to you that we pray. And it is you who are, is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We thank you for the incarnate Christ who came to dwell on the earth, Emmanuel, who came to be with us. God, as we turn to your word, as we seek to understand you more for who you are and to obey that scripture in our life, we plead that you would be with us tonight and that you would show us and be faithful to us to show us who you are and and show us how we can more become like you. It's in the name of Christ that we pray, that we hope, and that we trust. Amen. Please be seated. So tonight, we're not going to discuss uh, all of Romans 9, 30 through 10, 15. Uh, but we're going to focus instead just on Romans 10, 12 through 15. I just wanted us to read starting from 9.30 in order for us to get content, context. Um, this 
context shows us uh, that salvation is for all. It's not just for the Gentiles who, because of the proclamation of Paul and others, pursued righteousness by faith, or by Israel, who at this point pursued righteousness by the law. It is for all those who confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their hearts that God raised him from the dead. Uh, because this is a one-off sermon, I'm going I'm to give quite a bit more context. So let's first just talk about who is the writer of this letter? Who is Paul? The first time we see Paul in Acts, uh, his name is actually Saul. Uh, we see that he is persecuting the church. He is witnessing the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr after Jesus. Not only is he witnessing it, but in Acts 7-1, we see that he is approving of their killing. He then goes on a rampage against the way, against Christianity. We see in seven, Acts 7-3 seven, uh, that he was ravaging the church, entering house after house. He was dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. So why was Saul, Paul, doing this? He explains who he is, his upbringing, in Acts 22-3-5. He says, I'm a Jew, born in Tarsus, in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, Jerusalem, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as you are on this day, I persecuted the way, that is Christianity, to the death, binding them and delivering them to prison, both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take all those who were there and bring them into bonds into Jerusalem. He then tells of his conversion. We all know that, so I'm not going to repeat it today, tonight. Um, but after his conversion, his, the motive completely changes, and he begins to boldly share the gospel of Jesus. In 920, he says, at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. That is completely blasphemous to who Saul was as a Jew. And for this preaching, he was immediately persecuted. In 923, we, says, we see after many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. So after this, Paul goes on no less than three missionary journeys where he shares the gospel and starts churches in Athens, Galatia, in Corinth, in Ephesus, in Macedonia, just to name a few places. On his third missionary journey, while in Corinth, he writes this letter to the Romans. After Corinth, he goes back to Jerusalem, where he is arrested and eventually martyred in Rome. The passage we read earlier in Acts, where he testifies about himself, was taken from the defense of that arrest. So what is this letter to the Romans? Well, we see that it is a letter written by Paul in Corinth to the Christian churches in Rome. And the theme of this revelation is God's judging and saving righteousness in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the cross of Christ, God judges sin and yet at the same time manifests his saving mercy. So why was it written? Well, like many of Paul's other letters, it's written to answer specific questions that were arising in the church at Rome. So in the history of Rome at this point, 
they were debating over the practical application of the covenantal law. It was Jews and Gentiles worshiping together, and they were wondering whether they need to practice the covenantal law or not. So Paul begins his letter by the gospel. Most of the letter of Romans, including this section, is just what is the gospel of God. And then the last three or four chapters uh, is where he really gets down to the practical application. Another reason for this letter, it was for Paul to gain missionary support for his efforts into Spain. So Paul wanted the Christians in Rome to rally around this gospel of Jesus so that they would be his base of operations in order to go to Spain. This is another reason he shares so much of the gospel, because he wants them to be reinvigorated by the gospel of God so that they too will want the Spaniards to know who Christ is. And finally, as in all of Paul's letters, the chief reason that he wrote was to glorify God. Paul writes in Romans eleven thirty-three through 36, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So now that we have a grasp of who Paul is and what this letter of the Romans is, let's look back at these specific passages in Romans 10, 12 through 15. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now just verse 12. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. So why would he start out saying there's no distinction between Jew and Greek? We already know a little bit from the context that one of the reasons Paul is writing this letter is to unify the church in Rome. With using this language, he puts both Jews and Gentiles, therefore everyone, on equal standing before God. The Jews are not better because they received the law, and the Gentiles are not better because they didn't receive the law and then reject it. In the eyes of God, they're both equal, both made in his image, both sinners in need of grace and reconciliation. So how then does the Lord richly bless? He blesses them both through salvation, which is verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It really can't be ignored now. Everyone. That means everyone who calls on the Lord will be richly blessed through salvation. So what does everyone include here? Jew and Gentile? 
Pharisee and scribe, Native American and European, Indian and Russian, Russian and Korean, Arab and African, black and white, young and old, men and women, blue collar and white collar, Republican and Democrat. Yes, Republicans can be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And there's no prerequisite to this call. There is nothing that you can do to get yourself right with him beforehand. Paul didn't say, go and make things right and then come to Christ. No, that's false theology because before you make this call, you're dead. You cannot make anything right before you call upon him. You must first be reborn. We read specifically earlier in the context what this call looks like. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So, who have you discounted as too far gone for this message of salvation? Maybe one of your family members, a father, a mother, a brother, a sister, perhaps a good friend? What about your neighbor living with his boyfriend? Or your friend from high school who's a Mormon? Possibly a person you haven't spoken to in years because of past hurt? What about the Asian you see at lunch? Or maybe the Arab you see on TV? You know, the woman covered all in black with only the slits of her eyes. We know those women where we're at. They're our friends. Khadija, she was one of those women. She married into a really religious family there, and she wore the niqab every day. Eventually, though, she realized the hypocrisy of Islam, and she got divorced and, and left that family. Uh, but still, she wasn't saved. But through a local partner and friend, her mother believed and a few months after her mother believed, we took that local partner up and we went and visited Khadija's mom. And when we visited, Khadija was standing around listening to what we were saying. And our local partner walked Khadija's mom and Khadija through creation of Christ. Just like Jesus would have done on the road to Emmaus, she pointed out everywhere in scripture that talked about who Jesus was. And Khadija, not long after that weekend, declared that Jesus was Lord and believed that God raised him from the dead. She might have been discounted as too far gone. But this isn't just for other people. What about yourself? Have you internally counted yourself into this category as too far gone? You know your thoughts, you know your actions, you know if you've made this call upon the Lord in your own life or not. You know if maybe you did it when you were younger and you did it just out of fear for hell or, or not. It doesn't matter if you came here believing you were right with God or not. If you have not called on his name for your salvation, you can and you should. Right now as I preach, there's no reason to wait. Don't listen to another word I say. Call on his name for your life. Nobody's too far gone. Who wrote this letter? 
Paul, who was the persecutor of the church. He says in 1 Timothy 1.15, Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Friends, please don't give up on someone because you think they're too far gone. I promise you they are no further from salvation than you were right before you made the call yourself. Hamid is a guy from our town that a lot of people would discount as too far gone. He grew up in a part of our city that is known for drugs and thieves. It has the worst of the worst in our city. And he tried to follow Islam. He tried to be religious. And he eventually uh, saw the hypocrisy of it and started living the worldly life that most of his friends were living, started dealing drugs. And then he met one of our local partners, a believer, and that person shared with him the gospel of Christ. And he was really, really intrigued. And that gospel felt real. It felt refreshing to him, and he knew it was the truth. So after a relatively quick time, he believed in his heart that Jesus was Lord, and then immediately shared that with his family and his friends in that neighborhood. Now, because he did that, he was beaten, and he was kicked out, and he was brought to the police station, and when the officer asked him, you've caused all kinds of pain and hurt to your family and to your friends and to these other Christians, why do you believe this? So he shared the gospel with him. And at the end, he leaned back in his chair and he said, I have finally found peace in Jesus. Hamid might have, been, might have been one of those people that would be discounted as too far gone. So what are we being saved from? It doesn't really make sense if we aren't in any danger, right? Some people have a misinformed theology that someone goes to hell because they heard the truth of God and they rejected it. They heard and decided it wasn't for them, so they rejected who Christ was, and that means that they're going to hell. But that's not true. People are judged by God because we have sinned against him. We are guilty because he is righteous, and we are not. Paul has very clearly argued this back in Romans 2, and, and his conclusion in chapter 3 is that the whole world is held accountable to God and no one will be declared righteous in God's eyes by observing the law. There is no news, therefore, that could be more important than this gospel news that we have. Remember, it's only the lost that need saved or rescued, and that means everyone across the globe, from Berkey to Berlin, London to Cairo, Mecca to Delhi, Beijing to Tokyo, who is not called on the name of the Lord will not be saved from their unrighteousness. That seems daunting, but the great and good news is that all one needs to do is to make this call on the Lord to be saved.
And we know that there will be some from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. So, if salvation should be this prevalent, and we know that it is promised and it will be, what could ever dim the message? Only if it was left unheard. Let's look at verses 14 and 15. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Paul tells us clearly what's needed. I'm sure you follow the logic. In order to call, you must believe in the one that you're calling on. In order to believe, you first must hear. In order to hear, someone must preach it. In order to preach, someone must be sent. So what's behind this reasoning? We saw it earlier. We are all lost because of our sin, and our only hope comes from calling on and believing in the name of Jesus. Let me tell you, it is impossible to believe in something that you've never heard. We live overseas, and oftentimes we don't understand what our summer students are talking about when they first come and visit us. They come and they bring us all the new American sayings, and they show us the YouTube videos and the new dances, and a lot of times they have a lot of these inside jokes, and we don't really understand them. Uh, I remember that first summer when our summer students kept comparing our country to the upside down. So a lot of you probably know what the upside down is. It's this alternate reality from the Netflix series Stranger Things where nothing works out and horror awaits. So in our part of the world, where there's no ice for your drinks, air conditioning is said to make you sick, but washing your dishes with cold water is culturally appropriate because if you wash dishes with hot water, the spirits come out. Uh, in a land where just a few months ago, tens of thousands of sheeps were slaughtered for a holiday. You can imagine how many times a bunch of American students from UNM talked about the Upside Down. But I wasn't in on the joke because I had no clue what they were talking about. They had to first explain to me what this Upside Down is for me to get it. And that was just the beginning of my understanding, right? If I really wanted to understand it, I would go watch Stranger Things. Just like maybe somebody after hearing the gospel for the first time would go and read the Bible. But I would have never understood it if somebody didn't begin to explain it to me. So at the end of verse 15, we see that Paul turns to prophecy. He quotes Isaiah that this news will be brought. It will be fulfilled. When I was in college, I went on a few summer mission trips, and one of those was to South Asia. And during that summer, I wore open-toed sandals the entire time I was there, uh, while we were walking around in sewage, and I, it was flooding, and the sewage would just come up, and that was like our eight weeks of life. And my feet, by the end of every day, were disgusting. By the end of the summer, they were foul. 
And I remember at the end of that summer, we went to the church uh, that we had been attending. And they, re- they called our team up and they read this passage over us and then they prayed for us. And as they were praying, I was looking down at my dirty, disgusting feet, being very confused at this passage. And I, then I got it. Obviously, this passage quoted from Isaiah, it's not literal. Their feet are beautiful, not because they're physically beautiful, but because they bring this beautiful gospel message. So what does Romans 10, 12 through 15 have to do with our lives? Let me read you a quote by R.C. Sproul. Every day in human history, a record is broken. More people died today without hearing the name of Jesus than on any day since God created Adam and Eve. And tomorrow, today's record will be broken. In light of this appalling prospect, what is our role? What is our privilege? What is our responsibility? It's simple. We hear, we believe, we obey. We tell others, and we send those who we cannot tell. We are under divine rule to go and preach this news to other people in love. It's not that we're preaching this news because we want them to come over to our way, that we're better than them. No. It's because we love God, and we want him to be glorified in their lives, and we love them, and we don't want to see them continuing to be dead. But first, we need to know and to live this message of the gospel ourselves. We need to know the message of the good news. The gospel is not something that you received one time and then forget about. No, we are to preach this gospel to ourselves every day. We are to be so wrapped up in the gospel that it influences every single aspect of our lives and it overflows to those around us. This is one of the reasons that we have church, isn't it? When I stand up here today and preach this message, it's to you the believer. Yeah, I made an an appeal to the unbeliever, but this message, these sermons are for you. In the beginning of Romans, this letter, Paul says, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to evangelize to you also who are in Rome. Who is this letter written to? It is written to the church in Rome. It is written to Christians. He wants to evangelize Christians because we all need the gospel. Daily, I need the gospel. Your elders need the gospel. You need the gospel. We need to be reminded of the holiness and the righteousness of God. We need to be reminded that without him, we are dead. We have no hope in our flesh. 
but it is because of the cross that we have been adopted into his family. Listen to this beautiful passage from 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So as we daily preach the gospel to ourselves, our lives are transformed into the life that God desires for us. In Romans 12, 2, we see, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And then what, when we know the will of God, what are we supposed to do? The will of God. So this brings me to my next application point. As our lives are transformed, so is our speech. We are to live out the gospel and to tell others of the hope that we have. And we're to send those who can share in other places that we can't. When you daily fill yourself up with the gospel, you can't help but tell others around you. Out of love for them and love for our God, you should be sharing this great news with everyone. That might be one of those people that you thought about earlier when I talked about the discounted person. But that also might be somebody new in your life or somebody that you have known for a long time and you just haven't shared with. But also think bigger than that. After you've shared with everyone you see on a daily basis, change your daily routine so you can interact with more people in Albuquerque. Go to a different grocery store. Go to a different gym or park. That might mean inviting a different coworker to the lake or joining that book club that you were asked about. I don't know what it means for your life, but I would ask and implore with you that you would explore this idea with other believers in your lives. Talk about it in your GC this week, and most importantly, go to the Lord and ask him, because he desires to be glorified in Albuquerque. Ask him how he wants to use you in this place as his humble servant for the glory of his name. But this message is not just for Albuquerque. It's for the world. Christ has commissioned us as his mouthpiece from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And we know that this work will be accomplished. In Revelation, we read, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every tribe, tongue, and nation. From every people group standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is a promise from God. This work will be accomplished in every tribe, every tongue, every na nation, every language, every people group. Sometimes the missionary task can seem daunting. 
when you're in a place that's 99.9% Muslim and hostile towards the gospel, things can look bleak. But when we read scripture like this, we know it is not bleak. The battle has already been won. We've seen our city double in its size of Christians since we've been there the last three and a half years. We know that God is going to accomplish his will in every tribe, tongue, and nation. So church, how will you be a part of this? Elders, how will you lead your flock to be involved in missions? Members, how will you encourage your elders towards this end? I don't want this just to be a challenge, though. I want to encourage you for what you are doing. As Clint mentioned earlier, you are giving to Lottie Moon. You gave a lot last year. <laughs> you will give a lot this year. A portion of your budget goes to the International Mission Board, which has over 3,700 missionaries across the globe, reaching over 4 billion people. And you obviously already know missionaries. You pray for them. Continue to do that. That is something that your church does. If you're not doing it, get involved. Get to know a people group. Get to know one of the missionaries that your church supports and commit to praying for them and partnering with them and going to see them. Be a church that raises up their young people to know the gospel and have a desire to preach it here and to the ends of the earth. What are you waiting for? Pray, give, send, go. I have one other question. Are you living your life willing to go, but planning to stay? Go, send, or be disobedient. Let's pray. God, you are so worth all of the worship and the glory due your name from every person in this congregation, in Albuquerque, to the ends of the earth. You will be glorified. These promises will be fulfilled. God, show us as a church how to be unified in this effort and individually what we need to do in this effort, that we would know and live by the gospel, and that because we know it, we would tell it to others daily, that you would remind us of the people that you want to know this good news that we would share about Emmanuel, God, with us, with our neighbors, with our friends, with our family, with the people that we have yet to even meet. 
God, I praise you for this church and its desire for you to be glorified here and to the ends of the earth. Give the elders wisdom as they lead their church to that endeavor. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged to deeper life in Christ through the preaching of this sermon. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.christchurchabq.com.